You're listening to Breaking Our Silence with host Lupe Marino on the CWR Network. Hello and welcome to Breaking Our Silence. I am your host, Lupe Moreno. In today's episode, my guest, Jessica Janer, and I will be discussing when children witness abuse. Jessica is the author of My Colored World and the founder of Look Up and Beyond Incorporated. As a child abuse and rape survivor, Jessica is on a mission to help people to realize that negative past experiences do not equal a negative future regardless of the level of trauma they've faced. Jessica is widely recognized as an expert in helping people, especially women and youth, overcome adversity. The New York State Assembly and Senate has recognized Jessica for raising awareness about and improving the prevention of suicide from individuals struggling with depression and emotional pain. Her strategies have been so effective that she was awarded the prestigious I Am Hope Leadership Award, recognizing her ability to prevent human suffering. She has also been awarded the Hope and Appreciation Award by Opportunities and Change for helping women with mental health challenges. The New York City Council called Jessica a woman who makes a difference. Jessica has spoken to audiences ranging from 3 to 3,000 people. Jessica's work has been featured in numerous media outlets, including the inspirational international magazine, Hope for Women. She has also been invited to appear as a guest expert on a variety of television shows to discuss overcoming past trauma. At this time, I would like to welcome Ms. Jessica Janer. Thank you Hi, so Jessica. much for having me. Hello, hello. Thank you for that warm introduction. It's great to be on your show with you. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you as my guest. So after reading your bio, I was like, I'm very impressed by everything that I read. You're doing amazing things with Look Up and Beyond. So can you share with us how, what is Hope and Beyond more about it, and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so the organization is Look Up and Beyond, and it started with a vision I had a few years ago um, where I just kept being challenged to really look up and beyond my negative past and my circumstances. I found that the pain from those situations kept pulling me back and were trying to keep me from becoming more and developing um, into a person who could fulfill their purpose, and it became a lifestyle for me. And so I was really committed to building something that would have an impact on the lives of people whose paths I was able to cross. So it became um, an organization, a personal development organization, and um we just do quite a few different things, but that that's the heart of my message is that it's not just a coined phrase. It's, it's something that I live every single day. Did your childhood and witnessing abuse affect you to inspire what you do now? Oh, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a home where uh, domestic violence was prevalent, for over 16, 15 years, and even after my stepfather left the home physically, he was still abusing from a distance, and um, there were so many different factors that were 
there were so many different things um, tied into the domestic violence that there was really no way to not be scarred from it and hurt by it. Um, And it definitely wasn't my inspiration for just finding my purpose. Um, So without a doubt, that played a part. How did witnessing abuse as a child affect your self-esteem and how you felt about yourself? Well, it was definitely very damaging. Um, As long as I could remember as a child, I always felt really negative towards myself. Um, I experienced self-hatred. I experienced a lot of confusion about my identity, who I was as a, a young person, um, a child, a preteen and teen. And I really did not feel worthy um, of love. And then at the same time, there was a side of me that was very driven where I wanted to prove my stepfather wrong, um, that he was wrong about me and that the words that he spoke to me um would not become my identity, and I, I just had this this drive where I wanted to prove him wrong, and it was this constant battle of being defined by it, trying to pull away and find my own identity from it. Um, and it was it was not an easy thing to do because when you grow up in abuse, in an abused home and you're abused, what happens is, um, it shapes so much of your thought pattern, your perspective about life and relationships, about yourself. And I didn't realize at the time, but what I needed to do, I really needed to renew and transform my mind. I really needed to reshape my self-image and beliefs about those things. And that's a process. That's not something that happens overnight. It took me many years to... Um, really um, disconnect myself from the abuse and no longer find my identity in those things. When it was happening and as a child, did you ever feel like it was your fault or there was maybe something that you could have done to stop it? Definitely. Um, When I first came to this country. So I was born in Germany and I was six years old when I came to the States. And at that time, my mom had um, her husband, who was my stepfather, and I had two biracial siblings. And so I grew up in a, um, a cultural family. And on top of not feeling like I fit in in my family, I also felt like that outside of the home. But there were situations and circumstances that would happen that made me question and made me believe that I was the cause of them. Um, When my stepfather drank and came home after spending the weekend out, wherever he went, um, and he got back home and would start trouble and he would just do like random things, like wake me up like four in the morning when he walked in the door and would tell me to start cleaning up and um, 
threatened me. And I remember one time he pulled out a gun and was sitting on the couch playing with the gun while I was washing the dishes. And this was like, it was still dark outside. It was probably about 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'm washing the dishes, washing the dishes, and he comes, inspects the dishes. And if he saw any small speck of food or any mark on the dish, he would take the entire dish drainer and put it back into the sink, and he would curse at me and say, wash those dishes again. And sometimes this went on for about three, four times. (laughs) And I would stand there, and I'm thinking, like, what is wrong with me? Like, what did I do? Um, I don't know why this man hates me so much. So I started to really try to figure out what was it about me that was causing all this conflict and chaos. Um, And then just seeing my mom try to defend me sometimes, but she was also terrified of him Um, and then blaming her. And then just like, it just caused this whole chaotic dysfunctional mess that you wonder, it's like, okay, am I the cause of all of this? Um, And that's what a lot of young people, they wonder, you know, when, when they're in that, when they're experiencing that and witnessing that. So yeah, definitely. Now the way that he treated you uh, at that time and the things that you went through as a child, have you noticed that that has affected the way you are as a parent? Has it made you be a a better parent or have there ever been times where you kind of go back and maybe, I don't know, maybe did it affect you in a negative way? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I knew from when I was younger that if I ever had children that I wanted to break that cycle. The thing about abuse is um, there are two things that we do if we are, and this is particularly children who who are abused or witnessed abuse, it's repetition or avoidance. And I knew that I wanted to avoid that pattern. Um, I did not plan on becoming a parent. I didn't even plan on getting married, to be honest with you. Um, It was truly God's divine intervention in my life. And he really ordered my steps and really um, made things together in my life for me that I couldn't see in my youth when I was a teenager and a young adult. So I knew that I wanted to avoid repeating those patterns. Um, I know that when I was a single mom, I did have this extremely dysfunctional drive of wanting to be successful, and also I wanted to make my daughter strong and very independent. And I think I was on the track of maybe being abusive in that way by trying to make her so strong that she wouldn't need anyone, but I, I... realized that because of personal development and me being committed to growing myself, I was able to avoid repeating those negative patterns and behaviors um, early on. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, personal development has also been a big part of my healing too. And I mean, I'm learning it at such a late age, you know, I guess I wish I had learned it a lot sooner, but better late than never. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is such a great thing to be able to 
change our lives so that we can help others. Uh, so growing, I mean, because we're talking about the views from a child, from children who witness abuse, is there anything that kind of stands out in your mind that was probably the one thing that really affected you the most, either um, something you witnessed or just a feeling or how it affected you? Did it affect you with your friends and becoming a teenager and starting to date? Mm-hmm. Well, there were definitely things that stood out. Um, again, in my younger years, I was very self-destructive, and I didn't have a positive role model. Um, I didn't have any family outside of my mom, my stepfather, and my siblings that I could turn to. Um, my stepfather really did a very good job at isolating my mom and I and our family for many years. Um, we even we didn't even have a phone for many years in our home. Um, he also took our documentation, our papers. In my teen years, I had no um, passport or green card, and I had to go back and... Um, restart that process. He stole my social security card. So there were all these different factors that contributed to me not just having low self-esteem, but being self-destructive. And so I didn't know what it was to be in a healthy relationship or what it meant to date somebody and to look for um, triggers. I just knew what I did not want and I knew what I would not tolerate. And I was not going to tolerate abuse. And so I became this very, very strong and independent young woman, and I didn't realize it at the time, but after I met my husband and got married, I was bringing a lot of problems into my marriage because I had this really strong-minded, I-don't-need-a-man kind of attitude, um, and I had to work through that. But I would say the the thing about growing up in an abusive home was I saw the way it destruct it brought destruction to the family. So one of my greatest heartaches has been um, my sister Vicky, who ran away from home as a teenager. She was 15 years old at the time, and she ran away from home because of all of the fighting that was going on. And um, my stepfather um, took my mom to court, and because he was working at the time, and my mom was on government assistance he made himself look like a more responsible parent and he pleaded a pretty good case. He was able to afford an attorney and he won custody of my siblings because those are his biological children. Well, my, my sister Vicky did not want to live with him because she was older now and she, she saw his behavior and she was really connecting the dots at how dysfunctional and abusive he really was. And he got offended, he got upset, and he told her, well, you're not my daughter anymore. And that created something in her that made her run away from home. And after that, it just went all downhill from there. Um, she didn't last on the streets very long, and she was murdered, um, was on life support, and was taken off of life support on Thanksgiving Day, the year that she died. And so that was a very traumatic thing for our family. 
And that was part of my greatest pain that compelled me to move out of my mother, my mom's house, to move out of the neighborhood, um, and to begin my life searching for healing and for purpose. But just looking back, I said, wow, one man caused so much pain to a family, and many of us still deal with that now. Like I look at my family, my mom, and um, just the, the residue and the remnant of those years, it's still very prevalent. And, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, I think that's the thing about abuse is that it does take a toll on people's lives and can last for many years, and if especially if they don't get healing. And so, um, is there anything that you can think of where, like in school, is there something that teachers or school administration can look for when they're working with kids? Is there a sign? Is there a sign or and the change of behavior, something to look for to know if kids are witnessing abuse in the home? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, part of my frustration during those years was I felt that nobody was listening to me, and I felt I had no voice. And, and that belief trickled into my very being, where I struggled for a long time to find my voice. Um when I was in the second grade and the third grade, I remember having bruises on me to the point where I was bleeding and it hurt to sit down. And I remember going to a guidance counselor's office and showing him my bruises. He brought in a social worker. They visited my home. And the day that they came to my home, and I remember this like it was yesterday, um, so many years later, my stepfather, who was a seemingly charming and laid-back guy, um, locked me in the room and told me, don't come out. And he charmed the social worker, sat her on the couch and spoke with her and told her that I was a stepchild that was um, rebellious and that he was having a difficult time with me and that um, he's been really trying his best to um, be a father figure in my life and whatever else he told her. But he made himself look good, and the social worker never checked me. She never spoke to me. She just left. And that was a very defining moment for me because it told me that my voice didn't matter and that they were always going to believe him. And after that, I didn't speak up for a long time. Even when I was a teenager after I got raped, I never said anything to anyone. I had one friend that I confided in, and it was because I felt that my voice didn't matter. Um, and that became a very uh, that became a pattern for me. Where when things happened to me, I learned how to keep them to myself and learn how to deal with them. And after a while, it actually became like this this badge of honor, like, oh, you're so strong, like, you know, you're carrying all these things, um, until one day I crashed. And I realized that I needed to 
go and seek some counseling. But for educators and for um, those that work with youth and children, when I look back at the very few pictures that I have, I don't have a lot of pictures of my childhood. Father never took pictures of me. And I remember he used to take pictures of my siblings, and he would always make me stand on the side to make sure I wouldn't get in the pictures. So I don't have any pictures, but I do have maybe one or two that I came across. And I look at myself in those pictures, and all I see is a very quiet and broken, timid, and sad girl, sad little girl. And if I saw a girl like that now, at my age with who I am being a parent, it would trigger something in me to say that there's something going on with this girl. And I would say to educators and those that work with children is look for signs and don't neglect the signs and and believe young people when they when they speak up and when they say something. Um, don't dismiss it. My situation, my situation was dismissed, and it made me not want to speak up. And honestly, it was the, the abuse went on for so many years. Like it was, I had I experienced things that I should not have experienced. And had it made the, had it made mainstream, it would have been on the news because it was so severe. And no child should ever have to be able to live through that. And and be able to reflect on living through that. It's just, it's not right. Um, So I would say even as a parent that we need to empower our children to know and to believe that they have a voice and that their voice matters. When educators in the classroom empower your students, let them know and affirm that their voice matters, trust, um, so that if they can't speak to someone at home, because they're coming from a, an abusive home, a broken home, a dysfunctional home, that they have an outlet at school where there could be some form of intervention. And that's what I would say. Definitely. That's very good advice. And I'm glad you did finally, you know, find your voice and that despite everything that you went through as a child and growing up and witnessing all that, that you've turned your life around and that God is blessing you and using you to bless so many others. And and I know you have a a new book coming out um, titled Look Up and Beyond. Can you share a little bit about that book? And do you have a release date yet? So I don't have an official release date, but... I am excited about this book because this book is specifically um, written for youth, and it's all about empowering youth to overcome tough times. It's about giving them strategies to live to live beyond the adversity they are facing. And this book is very near and dear to my heart because it takes portions of my journal. Um, and my memoir, My Colored World, and it incorporates a story that I experienced into a teaching moment for young people. And so I can't wait for it to um, officially release. Right now I'm working on the final draft, and then I'll be submitting it for 
uh, proofreading and editing, and I will say if I had to give an unofficial release date, I would say April 1st. Oh, that's awesome. I've seen a couple of the the covers that you had as options. I'm like, I'm looking forward to get a copy myself. Um, if somebody wanted to get a copy of um, My Colored World, your first book, uh, where can they get a copy of that book? Yeah, so My Colored World is a memoir um, that's available on Amazon, and it is really my life story. And it, it, it reads like a movie. It, it takes you back to the day I left Germany and walks you through all of the emotions and the experiences, um, the rawness of what I what I lived through um, as a child into my teen and young adult years. And it, it starts sad, but it ends so hopeful and inspirational because it really is a true testament that our past doesn't have to equal our future and that we can find purpose in our pain. And um, I'm just so grateful that I was able to write that and share that with the world. Um, So, yeah, My Colored World is available on Amazon. Awesome. All right. I know that's one of the reasons why I wanted to actually start this radio show, too, when when the opportunity came up because – I want people to know that even if you were a domestic violence victim or child growing up witnessing it, that it doesn't define our the rest of our lives. I, I know it takes a long time. It's different with everybody. I know for me personally, it took me many years to get rid of everything from the past and how I felt about myself. But... I want the show to be, I guess, more like an inspiration, like with your story and story of other guests that I've had and my own story that despite what we went through, that we can overcome it and we can become stronger and help other victims become survivors and also educate people on what domestic violence is so that we can prevent it from happening again and hopefully stop it. Is there any advice that you have for your parents, um, anybody regarding the abuse that children see? Any last thoughts on that? Yeah, so... What I've seen and what I've known from my own experience is that healthy people desire healthy relationships. And the only way to be healthy after witnessing abuse, um, being abused, is through our own personal healing. One of the greatest gifts that a, a parent can give to themselves and their family, their children, is their healing. And healing takes time. It's a process, and it's different for everyone. But as long as we continue to seek it, continue to um, stay on a journey where we're allowing God to mold us and shape us and um, turn our ashes into something beautiful, then we're we're already victorious. Um, Every tragedy that we've experienced can be turned into something triumphant. And it it just starts with a decision of not remaining a victim. It, it really starts with saying that, you know what, 
Um, I have a responsibility, and I take full responsibility. And although some bad things happen to me, they're no longer going to define me. And in order for me to be victorious and have full control over my life, I have to take full responsibility. And that goes um, with survivors, abuse survivors. It's the way that I've approached my own life. I've always, um, I always say that even though I was abused and I was a victim, I chose not to stay a victim. I took full responsibility for my life and for my healing and for discovering what purpose God had for me in my pain. And it's a very empowering thing to stand in that. It takes courage. It takes support. It, it takes, um, I believe, a, a divine and supernatural help, uh, which is why my faith plays such a big part in helping me to do what I do today and to impact the people that I do um, because I know that it's bigger than me. It's not about Jessica. It's about a story that could have turned into a statistic, a tragedy that no one would ever heard, no one would have ever heard. Um, but now because I power and I took 100% full responsibility, I'm now able to make an impact and free others and, and be a part of their healing. And I think that's really important, no matter where we are in our lives. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that. that it comes to a point where we have to just decide for ourselves our, how we were going to respond to it, if we're going to stay in victim mode or say, no, it doesn't define me and it happened for me, not to me, and we can use our experience to go on and help others. And, um, so how can people contact you if they would like you to speak at one of their events? So I am on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Jessica Janier. Um, one of the best ways to reach me is on my website, jessicajanier.com. That's spelled J-E-S-S-I-C-A-J-A-N-N-E-R-E. And um, how to the, the contact form is there. It comes directly to my office. So that's a really great way to connect with me. Okay. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show with me tonight and sharing part of your story with us. And I'm looking forward to your new book coming out. I can't wait to read it. And I'm just... So honored to have you as a friend, and I admire you for everything that you've been through and all the work that you're doing and helping to change so much lives and how God is using you to help well, thank others. You. So thank you. Thank so you so much for, for all being that a guest you do. tonight. Thank you so, so much. Um, so if anybody listening would like to have more information on um, domestic violence, you can reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline if you need to speak to someone. Their number is 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. And please um, thank you for joining us tonight on Breaking Our Silence. The next episode will air on March 1st, and the topic will be Overcoming Abuse and the Healing Process. Until then, this is your host, Lupe Moreno, wishing you all a blessed night.
It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman, something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve 2037? I guess I was thinking Steve 2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine, because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. And posting on their feed, they're super ugly. someone being bullied online you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council i'm jumping in with my clothes on most party fouls are pretty dumb but if you decide to drink and drive underage you could lose your license and your freedom learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council <laughs> 